listening to the YRU Interview Podcast, Episode 6. Hi, kitty cats. I am Amethyst Herrick, your hostess for YRU, an interview podcast about identity. In our last episode, I had a conversation about psychotherapy and learning to guide others as a result of one's own personal hardship. In this episode, we meet Jill, whose strength and power are expressed through her personal awareness and later manifested in her internal quiets. Check the show notes for more information about Jill. This content is brought to you by subscribers of my Substack publication. If you are already a subscriber, thank you so much. If you would like to support shows like this one, as well as my writing, please consider subscribing using links you will find in the show notes. Enjoy this interview with Jill. All right, well, joining me today on the program is Jill. Jill, thank you so much for coming and discussing Why Are You? All right, so today I have precisely one question. It's the, it's, I'm interested somewhat in, in who you are, but I'm actually much more interested in, in some of the choices you've made, some of the decisions, the why are you, you know, as opposed to necessarily who you are today. So the question that I have, are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. The question I have is just, could you give me five words all of which sum up Jill. Okay. I'm just going to see what strong. Strong. Powerful. Quiet. Alone. Interesting. All right. Let me read these back to you. So I've got strong, powerful, quiet, alone, and interesting. So something I notice is, I mean, you've you've written several books, right? Is it four? I've written two. I've written four, but two are self-published. Okay. All right. So a total of four books. You didn't mention anything about being a writer. Um, I guess the, those were the words that came out of me, but I'm happy to address, I mean, if you're, if you're saying like, what do I do? I have done many things. And so I don't identify if I were to identify with any kind of career, like a writer, I would have had to have answered dancer. Okay. But because I am no longer a dancer, besides just recreationally, and the way I spend, you know, 90% of my time now is as a writer, probably since about that much, probably, in, you know, last 12, 13 years. Um, but I don't tend to identify, I'm also a mother and a grandmother. Like, I don't tend to identify with uh, 
career topics like that is probably why it would not have dawned on me. I'm a writer. Sure. All right. So I'm, I'm curious here too. So quiet and alone, I think, you know, they make sense together. Usually when you're alone, you can be quiet or I suppose maybe the, the opposite in, in some cases. But the, the juxtaposition of powerful and quiet is interesting. How do, you, how do you express power in a quiet way? I mean, I have changed a lot, I would have to say, through, you know, from perimenopause and now being a couple of years into menopause. I'm sort of unrecognizable compared to what I was before that. I will say that the powerful part is probably consistent in the sense where you said to juxtapose power and alone or power and quiet. Right. The power part, I got, probably the reason that word came out of me is because I have a kind of forceful energy of being very outspoken. Um. And I probably get that from my mother, someone who I actually had to sort of oppose in the end. But I recognize that there is, um, she really did give me a kind of confidence. It seemed kind of inflated and superficial because she was a narcissist. Um, but she gave me a message from when I was very young that like I was great and I was, um, capable mm, capable is a weird one because she kind of put down everything <laughs> actually re that really meant something to me but there's a way in which i have a similar quality to what she had which is being um uh independent and uh, you know power i guess it would just be like forceful and outspoken and i don't take shit on people i have good boundaries that have gotten better with time I'm sort of a force to be reckoned with um, or not a force to be reckoned with. Like if you cross me, it's like really easy for me to just be like, no. And I think I got that from her. Quiet came through hormonal years of, you know, changes. Um, I was always extremely extroverted, social, um, outgoing, level, you know, love, to be talking amidst a whole bunch of people and going through a divorce and being a single mom and having all of that come at a time when I was um, going, starting to go through perimenopause, I became really, uh, I really withdrew and became more of an introvert. But the other piece is that I am trained for 26 years now as an Alexander Technique teacher. And most people don't know what that is, but the Alexander Technique teaches you how to come out of what Alexander would call your habit. It's really just to come out of your reaction to everything in life, whether it's your reaction to coming out of a, getting out of a chair and you notice how you tense up in preparation. Even that forces you to like come out of your prep, your inner preparation. So I am obsessed with that work and it spoke naturally to me. So I'm trained to come out of my reaction 
to things. So that is very similar to something else I was very inclined toward in practicing, which was meditation, which is to drop out of thought. Mm -hmm. Obviously, meditation is taught in different ways, but I had been trained in transcendental meditation, which taught me how to just, you know, stick to a mantra and watch my thoughts going back and forth, but not attach to them or push them away, but to devalue thoughts. That's what meditation means to me, is to not take my thoughts seriously. And I, I was very drawn to Eastern um, practices, all different kinds, and even before I was introduced to the Alexander Technique. So those things together, I think the word quiet came up because I do well in inner silence. Even though I'm a talker and even though I have, you know, there are people who are close to me don't quite get this part of me and say like, they think I'm like neurotic and tormented by my thoughts or, or like, or even my daughter will sort of like, they're privy to the part of me that's like, bah, 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 bah. but that's not really how I spend a day. Like I'm retreating over and over and over and over and over again, away from stimulation in a certain kind of way. So I might be a talker in certain environments, but I'm quiet on the inside because also because of coming out of the tension preparation that Alexander teaches. Okay. So that's, so power, they're, they're different power and quiet came out as different parts of me, not necessarily connected. I understand. Cause I'm, I'm interested in that. Cause you, you had mentioned this was a response the the becoming more quiet and becoming more alone. You, you mentioned you were always extroverted. And that people now would, would find you unrecognizable. What, I what, said I was unrecognizable. I don't know that people would find me. I'm, I just said I'm unrecognizable to myself compared to what I, I used to be. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks for the, uh, the clarification on that. What, um, so, I mean, if it's a response, because you had mentioned perimenopause and now menopause, um, I mean, that's, you know, that's not a whole lot of years, but you've been trained in the Alexander technique you mentioned for 26. So has this reaction, this response occurred over 26 years? You know, there have been a lot of circumstances. So in 2006, my marriage started to come apart. And that introduced a certain level of uh, stress, you could say, but just sort of like overwhelm, something to have to manage. There's a, there are a lot of circumstances. There was the fact that, so I was a professional modern dancer. And what, you know, I wasn't in a company like Alvin Ailey or Martha Graham, but I was an independent, you know, dancer. And I lived in many different cities and danced for many companies. And that's a very high level of activity. I was, you know, dancers take dance class all the time. It's always a group thing. So I was always in a dance class and teaching, then choreographing, you know, um, having my own company, dancing for other companies, performing. I mean, all of that is a lot of energy and activity going mm -hmm. on. So um, upon in 2006, right before my marriage started to crumble, I signed... I was married to a doctor who had money. So I had backing to be an artist. I was also like pretty much a stay-at-home mom in addition to 
just working part-time and all these things, but the income I brought in was not, it didn't matter. So I could spend money on rental spaces and make money, but have it just like uneven. Like I worked sure. hard, but it, yeah. But so the timing of, so what, right before this happened, I signed a five-year lease on my own dance studio in 2006. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, I had been living in Maine now for about five years, and I had done a lot dance-wise here in Maine, and I was teaching, and I was teaching Alexander Technique, and I was performing, and dancing, and choreographing, and rehearsing, and all these things, and I had a, all over the place. I was all over the place, and I thought, oh, I'll get my own space. Actually, the person I was renting from was like getting rid of her space. I was like, shit, I need to get my own space. Mm -hmm. And I looked for something and I called my husband because he found a space. And I was like, is it okay if I sign a five-year lease? He was like, if that's what you think is what the you know, we didn't think we were going to get a divorce. It was just something I was going to be embarking on for the rest of my life. Right. And so my point is that up till 2006, when our, our marriage started to deteriorate, I was putting out tons of energy and activity. Again, with all the dancing, my kids were like, you know, seven and eight, you know, like young. I was driving them everywhere, back and forth to school, involved with the school stuff, you know, um, very active, performing all these things. I had a duet dance company with the woman who was the uh, director of dance at Bates College. Like we were performing in New York City. Like it was active. There was a lot going on. Mm -hmm. And yes, I was, Alexander Technique was always part of the background of all of that, which does create a certain kind of like, again, inner coming out of, coming out of, coming out of everything. But that doesn't mean you're not doing things and active and busy, but the inner quietness is still sort of there. So the okay. word quiet, I don't know if I meant it to be like, um, like I never do speak. Or if it just means that I'm quiet in myself, but the combination of circumstances. So as soon as the marriage started to fall apart and we separated, I could no longer afford, at least in my mind, to continue this dance career. My number one priority had to be, I need to get out of this lease. I have to disband my dance company. I can't be putting time and energy towards something that's not bringing in anything. Um, about three, I still did still perform for a few more years, but, but like everything started to rain in. And ironically, during that time, I started writing a book, which mm -hmm. I had no relationship whatsoever in my life to writing with the exception of always having been a journaler from a young age. I did the sure. artist way as a dancer. So I did the morning pages. Oh, okay. And, you know, um, and I have a master's in international relations and communications and I had done a uh, master's thesis. But besides grad school writing and all that, I, I had no relationship whatsoever to writing. But uh, as an Alexander, uh, the person that I trained with in the Alexander Technique, her name was Chloe Wing. She has passed, which is sad. Um, was in New York City. And she, the Alexander Technique has two big certifi certifying schools for teachers. Mine was the less conventional one. And in that school, you can have teacher trainers who 
have backgrounds that they are allowed to sort of merge bringing stuff in. She was very Eastern-based. Okay. And I was somewhat Eastern-based. And she brought other people onto the scene for us to be leading in addition to our Alexander training, which was right up my alley. And I was doing a lot of self-therapy just in the sense of like the kind of absence of thought and the kind of um, Eastern things that soothed me through this hard time I was going through. Um, I just did it through writing, like journaling. That's all I thought I was doing. Sure. And over time, I started to do these like chapter headings. You know, like all of a sudden there are things appearing on the page that are like, am I writing a book? What would that even be? Like, there's not even a part of me that had any relationship to the concept of writing a book. I mean, just never. And over a couple of years, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm writing a book. But so the point is that my lifestyle changed. Because I eventually, four years later, three years later, got rid of the dance studio, you know, had filtered out and a lot of that stuff. And the duet partnership I had actually had a falling out. So we were no longer doing our thing. And I just began doing contact improvisation, which is mm -hmm. a dance style uh, for fun. And I was doing ecstatic dance for fun, for recreation. But I was no longer a dancer in that way. And all of a sudden I was spending all my time writing, which of course made no sense because the reason I gave up all the dancing was because I was putting money out and not bringing it in. My writing was not bringing in any money. So with the writing corresponding with perimenopause, which was shutting me down more and more, like I could no longer go out at night very much. And then the energy, sleep became a challenge. So my, my night was all revolved around managing my sleep. Um, so circumstances and my general inclination to be very much about meditation is why now it's been so many years, I just find that I sit in a room all day in a quiet solitude writing, but it's also what's natural for me to sort of have gotten through some of the things I had to go through circumstantially, and it's just it all merged together and is why I'm like sort of not recognizable compared to how active I always was. All right. I see. That makes sense. The, which incidentally, well, not incidentally, cause I'm kind of switching gears. You, you've mentioned a bunch of adversity, you know, that, that's, that have occurred. You used, you just used the phrase, all the things that happened to you. And the first word you gave me was strong. I mean, there's no doubt there was, it took a lot of strength to power through some of these things, not to bring back powerful, but no doubt. And is that why that was the first word you chose to describe yourself? I mean, I don't know why that was the word that came out, but let me think. Um, you know, the no, that the the things that ha yes, the, the first big thing that I had to go through in my life was in my twenties, um, and that was that I had a very uncomfortable dynamic with my father growing up, 
Um, I did not get into therapy until I was about 22 or so. Mm-hmm. I was dating someone who was a psychologist a bit older than me. And he said, you know, it seems like you're blaming yourself for something that is not your fault. And he's like, have you ever considered therapy? And I didn't even know what therapy was. I mean, sure. he was a therapist. So I went to a therapist and I talked and talked and talked about this dynamic with my father that I always felt so guilty and so mean. I was so mean to my father, but I was rejecting him and I was putting out boundaries with him. And she said, you know, there's a diagnosis called covert incest, which is basically very similar to incest in the psychological ramifications, even though I still don't like to compare them because I think they're like worlds apart. But I guess it can mess with you in a similar way um, because there was nothing nothing sexual that ever occurred from my father. But once I got out of my, so I I put walls up with my father. It was like, I always had to keep him at a distance, but play the game and, and ride the line that I wasn't like offending him because growing up he was paying for everything and whatever. But once I got out of, once I was out of college, actually he paid for graduate school from money from my grandmother. But once I finished graduate school and I was 24, I was working somewhere and I came up the steps into the elevator and there were all these messages from him. He was going through a hard time. And I, I don't know, I went into my office and I shut the door and I wrote a letter, dear dad, I can no longer have contact with you at this time. You know, it was very polite. I appreciate everything you've done to, for me. Please let me know, you know, Sorry, please wait for me to come to you when I'm ready, whatever. So, again, just my personality. Maybe I got it from my mother, from just being somebody who, like, wasn't going to take shit. But my my threshold maxed out. And I set a boundary with my father, which is no simple thing. Because I would also, like, go home and still visit my mother and my brother, but, like, be in a house with him and, like, keep this barrier. So. I think that, you know, even my first therapist said to me, like, you're one of these people that like does all the work yourself. Like you come to a session and then you go home and you, you, you know, I read all the books. I, I mean, I'm a, I was a processor, like all the Eastern stuff and Alexander work pulls me out of that. But I have had a lot of therapy. So I, I know, like, I don't know that you can just like jump into a sort of, you know, no thought mentality if you've never figured out what the things were that messed you up. Oh, well, so I have I a lot of sense. Sense. Yeah. yeah. But the strength, I think just the ability, even when I have written about this a bit on media and people say, wow, 23, that's like amazing. You were just able to sort of set that boundary. And it's just my nature. I don't know. I mean, it's just like, it's just how I reacted. And then two years later, he passed and he got sick. And a friend of mine said, you know, you may want to reach out. Just to and I reached out, but I was still like myself. I mm-hmm. was just like, maybe that was cruel, but I was like, look, I'm going to speak my truth. He never understood. He still was like, you didn't love me, and blah 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, I, <laughs> I was, I was, I understood the psychology behind these things. So I was like, as they would say, a warrior, you know, like at a young age of just like carving space. Now, I was messed up in other ways from the dynamics of both my parents and very codependent and very dependent on relationships with men Mm, mm -hmm. from a young age. Boyfriends, clingy, needy, couldn't survive without someone. But I also had a very strong-willed kind of personality. I 
you know, I, I was smart in school. I did a lot of things. I, I was successful in a certain way. Um, but the healing started in my early 20s where, where I got, I started with the therapist and I got introduced to all the emotional incest stuff. And I also learned transcendental meditation mm -hmm. at that age. So I was inundated with psychotherapy and Eastern-based stuff in my early 20s. And I was the kind of person who just like sucked it all in and attached to it and was constant, constant, constant. And now I'm 59. And, you know, I think I write books on this stuff because the divorce and also there was another relationship in my life post-divorce with somebody who was really, really, really challenging. And I was like forced to sort of deal with a lot of that. So it's been a straight line of like self-care from the minute I set that boundary with my father. You know, my issues were not that hard. I mean, yes, I had this dynamic with him from when I was very young and it was stressful. But it was still like I was in a privileged environment. You know, I was cared for. I mean, my stuff was hard for me, but the things people go through, like, you know, are, are so much harder. So it's all relative. But for me, this is my, I say, it's not that these things made me strong. It's that I had the kind of disposition that couldn't tolerate being crossed and I would feel more free risking like being on the street and not having support than being taken advantage having to cater to something that is not right for what it's worth though i mean you, you know it's the ability to set boundaries because I, I want to take a step back you said well these are these were challenges that were difficult for me and i recognize you know people go through worse stuff at the risk of you know at the very least, diminishing my own story, I would say that some of the reasons I went through some of the things I did, that was a lot of some of the, wasn't it? That a big reason why I had trouble was because of my inability to set boundaries. I mean, particularly at an early age. So, I mean, I admire your ability to do that. The, I think that maybe if you had not, I think the point I was going to go toward was that maybe if you had not been able to set those boundaries, what you perceive as as small challenges would have just grown into bigger ones. And then, you know, we'd be we'd be having a different conversation. You know, your first word would have been, you know, walked all over instead of strong. So. I mean, the only thing I can attribute it to, I mean, again, I see us, you know, just we have the makeup we have based on a million different things mm -hmm. but if i had to look at something i would say again there was the irony of my mother's personality which not only did she instill in me a sense of like confidence and not to take shit from people sure. even though she became a person she became later once i hit my 20s she was the other person that was really challenging but not like quite with my father. She instilled the confidence, but also she was someone to emulate that she didn't take shit. And I just think if I had to attribute it to that, you know, I, I mean, I was, yeah, I was extraordinarily lucky. I was also extraordinarily lucky that it's a terrible thing to say. I'm just, I'll 
my father passed. So I no longer ever had to deal with the dynamic. And my mother, years later, was the other thing that just, you know, for all my adult years, just was a source of intense stress. And I was putting up barriers to her Mm -hmm. control and all that. She passed. I had a falling out with my brother and sister-in-law. We no longer speak. I no longer have any stressful family dynamics in my life. I have an excellent relationship with my ex-husband and with my children. So it all got dropped in a way that I think if they had gone on living, I would still be contending with my father. And like, it's just, it's different when the people are no longer there. Sure. I'm curious too. Like, I'm curious if your father blamed you. This is probably fodder for another discussion, but I'm curious if your father blamed part of, you know, his unhappiness on you. I'm curious what he did, you know, with your mother. I wonder if it was the same sort of relationship. Probably time for another discussion. No, I'll talk as long as it works. (laughs) My father was, um, I mean, this is the hard part too. The world saw my father as the nicest person you could ever meet. Sure. Often like that kind of a thing. He was very, whatever. He was, but in the family dynamic, he was extraordinarily needy and he came off very desperate. Mm. The tricky part with my father was that when he was 35 and I was eight, he got deathly sick. He had a colitis, he had ulcer, he was in the hospital and they found cancer, Hodgkin's disease. And they told him, they told my parents he had six months to live. Now, when he went in and out of the hospital and came home and I was eight and he came home, I was very disturbed by a feeling of pressure that I needed to be affectionate with him and give him love. I'm pretty sure all of this predated his illness, but him being sick made him, yeah, I don't even think they're really related, but in retrospect, everything changed also because he did live for 20 more years, but he was very vulnerable and he was a victim. So he already had a victim martyr kind of personality. And then he had conditions that, and then he lost work and then, you know, it was a mess, but they kept it from us in a way. So I'm just putting that as a backdrop, but my mother and my father, I mean, he just had, a, my perception as a young child was that I felt bad for him. You know, it seemed like my mother was rejecting him on a physical level on a, she was caustic and kind of, you know, sharp tongued and always just kind of making fun of him, even though she, you know, I think she loved him. She was also frustrated that he was sick and wasn't at work and all of that. Sure. But I was why I felt this intense thing from a young age that he would pout and get his feelings hurt if I had to, if I was independent. Like you're a little kid and your dad doesn't want, you know, he wants to play chess with you, but you don't want to play mm-hmm. chess. He wants you to go to the car wash with him and you don't want to go. Um, you know, he wants, oh, you don't give me back rubs anymore. That's a little fucked up. But that kind of thing, you know, right. So it's just like the natural things that a young child, a daughter, like pulling away or just wanting independence, everything seemed to offend him. Mm-hmm. And there became this weird estrangement, a weird estrangement. And I was keeping away and I never knew if it was just because I was grossed out and repelled 
or because I didn't want to be put up against the wall having to answer, why don't you, why aren't you nice to me anymore? Sure, sure. Especially I, when you don't perceive a change in your own behavior, I'm sure. I'm a little kid, you know, so this right. is growing, you know, and with my mother, I mean, I can't remember exactly how you phrased the question. So I'll, I'll, I'll say it and then you can interrupt me and tell me. Yeah. Is, um, he, he pulled on my mother in a certain way, I guess, but she, what I witnessed with her, she didn't have a problem putting up a barrier with him. Right. She was his wife, you know, and it felt like the classic incestuous Oedipus kind of thing where it's mm -hmm. like, you know, I felt from a young age like I could have my father. You know, I, I, I didn't know what that meant. And I don't sure. believe that he was actually skewed sexually. Like that would not have been, but it was the emotional vibe that I was the chosen wife because sure. he was rejected by his wife in a certain way. This is all my perception. And I grew up under that dynamic of feeling like she threw me under the bus, especially years later because I expressed it all. Mm -hmm. But you know, these things are deep and complex and she was a narcissist and she wasn't like, I mean, you know, these, these I mean, if the, if the people are doing these things and they're enmeshed in this dynamic themselves, they're not gonna see it. Um, so I don't remember the exact thing you asked me about my mother with my, my father with my yeah. mother. It, it was just, you know, I was curious if she was capable of, you had mentioned you emulated her to a certain extent in your ability to, to set boundaries. And and what you just described is, you know, the relation her relationship with your father was, all right, I'm gonna set up a boundary, which so so that was that was all I had asked, really. Yeah, and also curious. with other people, she set boundaries. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's I mean, again, I'll I'll just reiterate that's it isn't easy. That's not or at least it's not easy for for probably 90% of the people. It's it's not easy, but I had support in so many other ways. For example, if you're if you're transgender and you're up against the world, like mm -hmm. I was only up against my mother, my father, you know, or I was not raped, or we had enough money, or I, so I'm just saying, like when I look, I'm I'm not poo-pooing the things I went through, and but I'm just saying that it's relative when I see the kinds of abuse that people go through. Sure. I was not. Used in those right. No, I and I appreciate that. You know that that uh, that you can see the whole thing in context. So, so there there was one word, incidentally, that we have not covered. Everything else we did, and that's just interesting. So you're gonna have. Sorry, you said interesting. I always say interesting. I have oh, no idea. My, so yeah. Now people people go. What are you British? Is I'm it, a New Yorker. It? Who knows? Right. Well, yeah, but I, yeah, I mean, it's not like in in you know Southern California and you know Los Angeles in the '80s was exactly well known. You know, for enunciation, for articulation. I don't know. Interesting. 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 Right. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we butcher everything. All right. You want to know why that word came out? Interesting. Yes. I would love. What's interesting about Jill? Mm. I mean, I got an answer, but no, it's funny. Even when you rephrase it, what's interesting about Jill versus can you say? Yeah, I mean, I think that I'm interesting in the sense that, well, I think what I, what I, what's interesting to me about me now 
are the subject matters that I write books on. Um, so it's more like what comes out of me, I think, is interesting, or just my awareness in general mm -hmm. is interesting and unique. And other than that, interesting, I don't even know. It would just have to be like, I, I you know, I have been talented in a bunch of different kinds of things. I have a real balance between like heavy in the arts and heavy intellectualism and mm -hmm. um heavy you know in in the i don't identify with the word spirituality for me my work is more just about reality in the way someone like byron katie talks about reality but for me and, and so but but if people related to the word spirituality that would be the the bent like i'm a naturalist in that spirituality way um but it's, it's a combination of a real balance between different skill sets and things that I'm drawn to and have mastered. Um, also, I'm a very natural mother, which is not something I would have ever known. Um, parenting came very naturally to me. I love being pregnant. I love having babies. I loved all the ages. My kids are now 24 and 25. Now I'm also a grandmother. Like all those things came very naturally to me. And so there's just, I think the interesting came out because there's like a smattering, you know, a palette of a bunch of different things. I never considered myself an artist, ever. I was a technician as a dancer growing up. Oh, with your own dance? I would have never considered myself an artist because dancers are not artists really until, I mean, it wasn't until I became a choreographer. All right. Because it's, you're sort of getting plugged in. I mean, I was a ballet dancer and then I was a jazz dancer. It wasn't until my 20s I was a modern dancer. So yes, if you're given, if you're dancing on the stage for a company, you have an artistic way, I guess, the way that you deliver the material. But that never felt artistic as much as just like punching out movement and memorizing huh. it or whatever. So I think it wasn't until I became a choreographer and all of that that I thought of myself as an artist because I was a dancer. So it didn't go. But then, of course, you're a dance artist, whatever. And anyway, so and writing snuck up on me. So I was like, oh, I guess you're really an artist in the world, right? You were a dancer and then you're a writer and you threw everything else away. <laughs> like, right. Yes, you're an artist. But so it's the smattering of all the different things. And my writing, which was all about mindfulness and awareness, became about philosophy. And I don't consider myself a philosopher, but things I write about, especially in my third book, are presenting things that are all being presented by philosophers and scientists and cognitive scientists. And it's mm -hmm. like, how on earth did I ever get into this field? So I think that's why I feel like I'm interested. <laughs> you, you know, that would have been more or less my answer. I mean, there's just so much, so much I know you've done. I think what killed me, though, is you go, oh, yeah, dancers aren't really artists. I, I don't know. I, I guess looking at this, I'm now sputtering. Sorry, this is <clears throat> this is what happens when I don't know what I'm going to say. But there's something about expression because i'm a talker you mentioned that earlier i'm a talker and i have no problem talking i have no problem writing and i can move my hands around but like the idea of expressing especially something like a story i mean when you you know there there are i mean a whole ballet right you there's no words no nothing there's i mean i'm thinking of you know 
Sleeping Beauty or something like that, you know, because these are the things I know are Tchaikovsky ballets, not, you know, not like interesting stuff, right? But you're telling a whole story. Wow, that's a stoic look. Is Tchaikovsky the okay? The choreographer wrote that ballet, though. Yeah. When you're a dancer, when I started out at seven years old in dance class, really what it feels more like is that you're an athlete. You know, okay. you're, you're, I was an athlete. You know, I was also a gymnast and a runner and all, a water skier and a tennis player and all that. Like, so dancing was about like the, the discipline. Ballet is an extremely disciplined thing. It's technique, it's discipline. All right. And there didn't seem to be any expressivity, even though, of course, the way I would do it, if you're not a dancer, but so that's how you get into it. And then again, it, yeah, I mean, I get it from the outside, but, but, and even what you're describing is Sleeping Beauty. Like, I didn't grow up doing ballets like that, doing ballets like that, but even for those ballet dancers, I can tell you they're not the one who made the story. So unless you're like the, the, the absolute swan who's like really expressing it artistically, it's mm -hmm. about steps and point work and this and that. And that's about like conditioning in your body. <laughs> so All right. it's a little bit of an illusion as a, as a dancer, modern dance is more of it. But yeah, I understand. It didn't dawn on me until years later, maybe when I became a writer that I was like an artist in the world yeah and of course i have no money and what's happened is over all these years i've gone into like deep debt and poverty and i'm like realizing okay you just like when you put that wall up with your father and said no to his money because you needed your freedom i am somebody who needs my freedom in the world to sure. be myself and right. all these years i'm hoping to make some money writing and however else but i had to do these things because it's the only way I can survive and say no to the security that would have been like in a regular job. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know that until the years go by. You, you see who you are and what you do and the choices that are happening. You're like, oh my God, this is who I am in the world. Uh-oh. Right. And for what it's worth, I think that is also something most people do not end up figuring out. You know, they go along. It's more you like I couldn't tolerate not doing it so it sure. never felt like figuring out it's more like oh gosh I guess I'm someone who just has to keep doing my own thing you know even if I'm gonna be like living out of a suitcase on at a friend's right house. right but I understand the opposite perspective because oh, I mean I'm the same kind of person I'm like look if if I don't understand something I'm gonna go and try to figure it out but there I, you know I would say most of the the planet, well, how about if I say most of Western society doesn't want to do that. They, you know, it's easier for them to go, hang on, I got my cell phone. I'll let my cell phone tell me who it is, my or who I am. I'll let you know my astrology, whatever, you know, says who I am. But the last thing I want to do is have to think about that, you know. I've always had a lot of awareness. Yeah, I, I, my best friend and I, when we were in elementary school, would sit on a hill and marvel at the fact that this other friend of ours. We thought, does she have any self awareness? And she just, we were very in, introspective, is a word you like, um, you know. So we we were very introspective. So I was naturally just brainy and know, psychologically like aware and attuned that way, and and that's why I have the kind of awareness I do in all the different 
aspects. But again, I don't take credit for any of these things. For me, it's just like, it's the way I am. That's another conversation for us. It, it is, but yes. I don't feel like I never figured anything out. I'm just aware of the fact that, oh, look at that. I'm not working and I'm just using credit cards to live on. And, you know, guess I need to be writing because otherwise I would have gotten a job. <laughs> <laughs> That, that's a level of awareness, yeah, may, maybe many people miss, but all right, so so the way the way I the way that I um that I like to sum these up, I like to do what I'm what I call a portrait, my the portrait that I that I would paint. And it may be good, it may be bad, you know, wait until I'm finished and then you can critique. But this is um this will be this is my portrait of Jill. All right, are you ready? Do you want to seatbelt yourself in? <laughs> All right, so so the person I see before me, while she is in well, while she has uh, been very capable in the arts, she's always balanced that very well with the intellect and her ability to set boundaries around her own consciousness to ensure her freedom has been part of the way that she can she can draw herself into herself. Find a find quietude in herself and um, comfort in being alone. And it is as she can be alone that uh, she can really uh, exercise the awareness and the introspection that makes her who she is. And that's my portrait of Jill. Am I supposed to respond? You don't have to. If you just go oh, way off, that's fine, and I can edit that part out. It's pretty. It's pretty accurate for what, what I. I mean, I, I'm fine with it. There's a couple of words I wouldn't choose, but also just alone doesn't necessarily mean like I don't feel alone in the world. I just spend a lot of time in solitude. Oh sure, but that's important, right? I mean, I think that is a. a you mentioned awareness and introspection, and you cannot do that if you have to be. If you are always with other people, if you have to be with other people. That's so I didn't take, true. yeah, I didn't take alone to imply that you go, oh, nobody comes and visits me for Hanukkah. You know, it's. I mean, I had all that when I was married. Sure. And I was with them, you know, but yes, I, I understand. No, I thought it was a pretty good portrait if you have to sum it up like that, for sure. <laughs> but I will say, uh, Jill, thank you very much. For, for having this long conversation with me, telling me everything about why you are. Thank you, I really enjoyed it. I continue to admire Jill's ability to set the boundaries of her life and become who she is in a purposeful manner. My dear friend Jill, thank you again. And let's make another podcast, all right? Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Why Are You? If you'd like to hear more, please consider subscribing using the links you'll find, again, in the show notes. And until next time, please remember the burning question, Why Are You? Why Are You?